Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Matt Dinsky continues our series, Splinters of Doubt, and talks about the current of culture and how we can easily be swept away by things of our culture if we aren't firmly planted in our faith. We look at Daniel 1, verses 1 through 8, and how the culture and the king wanted to change Daniel and his friends. Matt talked about how we can maintain our faith in Jesus and still be in the world, but not of the world. He talked about how we can follow Daniel's lead in being anchored in the Word of God, anchored in God's presence, and anchored to God's people. We hope you enjoy this message. Amen. Grab a seat, guys, and welcome, welcome to Fellowship Greenville students. We are so glad that you guys are here tonight worshiping with us, and uh, hopefully you've had a great week and a great weekend. So thanks for being here. My name is Matt Dinsky. I'm the student ministry pastor here at Fellowship Greenville, and it is, it's good to be worshiping with you tonight, learning about Jesus tonight. I want to remind you of two truths that we believe about you, that you are loved and you belong here. We believe that about you, and we believe that Jesus believes that about you as well. So thanks for being here. Over the past uh, few weeks, maybe five or so weeks, we have been in this series called Splinters of Doubt. Uh, I think Dallas reminded me tonight that that's like the Harry, Harry Potter logo. I don't know what it's called. Emblem? Signal? Scar? Scar. <laughs> yeah. I, sorry, I don't know that much about it. But yes, um, I tried. I tried watching all the movies, and I got halfway through. How many are there? You can read the books. Yeah, you could read the books. My wife has. My wife has. Um, I've, I've been trying to absorb it through osmosis. How many? How many? Eight movies. I've watched seven of the movies. I got through half of that last one, and I was like, I just can't. I can't anymore. So I did not watch what happens with Harry and Voldemort. I said his name. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, <laughs> we've been in this series called Splinters of Doubt, and, uh, and really it's this idea that like <clears throat> sometimes we have these thoughts or we have these questions, we have these ideas that come into our mind, and we just don't know what to do with them. And if we ever got a splinter in like our hand, our foot, or whatever, it's time to get out the needle and tweezers. Like you, you just kind of dig it out. Because if you don't, it just gets irritated and everything around it starts to become irritated and it just festers and, and you start to risk infection and it just starts to affect everything. I mean, something so tiny can affect the way you walk. My man Grant got a splinter today in his foot. Homie was bleeding through his sock. I mean, dang, dude. Mad shout out, bro. But I mean, splinters affect you in the day to day. But what about splinters of the mind? Like when you just have these thoughts that come in, these things, you're like, I don't know what to do with that. There's no needle and tweezers for your mind. So how do you navigate questions or, or thoughts that come in which lead to doubt? And over the past few weeks, we've made it very clear, we do not think that doubts in and of themselves are wrong or are sinful. In fact, people who have the strongest faiths have often developed that faith through the uh, seasons of doubting and asking hard questions. Doubts are not the problem as long as we pursue the answers and pursue truth. It's when we allow those doubts to become dead ends and just stop and everything just ends with that doubt. That's when they become dangerous. How do we deal with the doubts? What do we do with the questions, the splinters that, that get in our brain? And we've, we've walked through a few weeks uh, like personal pain when you've gone through just tough things in life and it's just kind of wrecked your faith and now you're just asking questions like, man, God, why would you? How could you? We've talked through conditional faith when you've put expectations on Jesus and he's supposed to perform like this or do this or act that way and then he didn't and you're just disappointed. Like, what do you do with that? We've talked um, 
through, through a few different things. Next week, we're going to be looking at the problem of evil in the world. How could a good and loving God also allow so many bad things to be happening in this world? Well, tonight, we are, we are camping in the splinter of the uh, current of culture. All right, that's what we're calling it, the current of culture. So, in other words, like uh, the idea of a river that has a current within the water. And really what we're talking about is like, as you read the Bible, the Bible presents two realities about our life. One reality is the way of Jesus, the life that Jesus modeled, the the idea that God would put on skin and become flesh and live among us and model to us what humanity was supposed to look like all along, all the way back in the garden with Adam and Eve, like this perfect idea of humanity, the way of Jesus, compassionate and generous and altruistic and sacrificial love and others oriented and, and worshipful of God and grateful and, and posturing ourselves before the Father and, and, and um, giving dignity and value to everyone we come across and esteeming the marginalized and just being aware of, of things happening in this world, the evil oppressors of this world. Jesus modeled in a perfect way what life is supposed to look like. The other reality that the scriptures present is is kind of the ways of the world. And what's been true since the beginning is culture at large all around the world is not aligned with the ways of Jesus. Like, why why would it be? It, It doesn't worship Jesus. And so you have these two realities, the way of Jesus and the way of the world, and they're not incredibly compatible in every area. And so for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, we now have this vertical alignment where our values are are getting in sync with Jesus and his ways, and yet we also have this horizontal reality where the culture around us oftentimes is at odds with the ways of Jesus, and so we find ourselves at odds. How do we faithfully follow Jesus and live in his ways, and yet be in the world and and be a part of culture and not just retreat and like become one of those super weird Christian people who like you never see ever, ever at day at daylight. They just come out at night and they're scared of everything in the world and it's like no dancing because dancing's sinful. Don't hit the wall. Like no. Like how do we align ourselves with Jesus and yet be in the world when those things are opposed? And oftentimes Oftentimes we, we are presented with that and the ways of the world is almost like this sweeping river. I don't know if you guys have ever had to do a river crossing. Some of you guys know, most of you guys know I love hiking and backpacking and things like that. Had a group yesterday, killed the trail with them. It was awesome. But um, sometimes when you're hiking, you will come to a river. And man, I'll be honest with you, most rivers that you see, I mean, they, they could be you know 30 feet wide, they could be three feet wide, but most of them, uh, I've always underestimated, me personally. Like, I'll look at it, and I'm like, ah, that's not that scary. That's not that bad. And you start to, like, you, you put one foot in, and you're like, ooh, <laughs> muddy. And, and you're like, okay, nothing happening so far. I think I'm good. And you, you unbuckle your, your pack, because if you do fall in and start to get swept away, you don't want your pack, like, strapping you in. And so you, you're able to get out of it real quick. And so you're, you're kind of wading across and the water comes up to your shins and you're like, okay, like I'm, I'm feeling a little bit of the force here. And if you're ever doing a river crossing and, and the water comes up to your knees or your thighs or even your hips, like you realize, whoa, like this is way stronger than I thought. I mean, you've got like a foot on the rocks over here and maybe even a stick to like anchor yourself against the current and you're crossing. Water is so deceptive and how powerful it is beneath the surface. And that same idea is what I'm getting at with this, this 
current of culture. Like we evaluate culture and we're like, oh, it's not that bad. The ways of the world, ah, they're not that powerful. There's not that much magnetism to them. I'm not that drawn into them. And we kind of put a foot in the, in the ways of the, of the world and the ways of culture and we're like, oh, let me just dabble a little bit. It'll be fine. And we don't get swept away. So we're like, ooh, I guess I can handle it. And so we get in a little bit more. We're like, ooh, shin deep in the ways of the world. That's nice. And we're not swept away. So we're like, oh, maybe just a little bit more. And before we know it, we are like in the middle of this thing. Our footing is lost. And we are being swept away down a current that is taking us far, far away from where we were once anchored in Jesus. And we forget about it so quickly. And we're just grabbing at everything around us and saying, all right, this is what it is now. After 15 years of being in student ministry, I have seen this happen time and time and time again with my students who in high school are like, Jesus, we love Jesus. Going on all the, the retreats, the epic retreat, like going, going on all the trips, like serving uh, on mission trips, overseas trips, being a part of student leadership teams, in church faithfully every week. Like it's all about Jesus. And then they graduate high school they start to dabble a little bit in some things, and before you know it, they're like, gone. Now I'm done with Jesus. Like, what happened? The current of culture can easily sweep us away if we're not anchored to the right thing, if we don't have a firm footing on the right things. And when it does sweep us away, it starts to create doubts. Like, man, did I ever even believe in the first place? Was that stuff even of value? Like, what was that? Why, was that just like a cultural thing? Like, oh, in Southeast America, you go to church, you believe in Jesus. Like, I guess that's what you do. Like, we just start to doubt the authenticity of the whole thing. And it becomes this very, very, like, um, limited to when we were in high school and now we're, like, evolved and we found, like, true freedom in our faith now and all this stuff. The current of culture happens so often. In fact, uh, Paul kind of puts it like this. He's writing to Timothy. I want to look at a, a verse here in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Paul is writing to uh, this younger guy named Timothy. Paul is locked up in prison, and Paul says this to, to Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. He says, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. So Paul had this friend named Demas. Demas was all about Jesus and the gospel. He was doing ministry with Paul. Could you imagine that? Like the world's greatest missionary of his time, like taking the gospel, converted murderer of Christians to now deliverer of the gospel to make Christians. Like Paul's doing the thing. And now he's locked away in prison. And this dude Demas, who was his boy, fell in love with the ways of the world and deserted Paul, left Paul. And Paul's writing Timothy with sorrow. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Like that phrase, in love with this present world, is what I'm getting at. This idea that it is possible to love Jesus and be a part of this whole thing. Like, Jesus, you're so awesome. I love, I love being a church. I love doing it. And then you begin to step into the river of the world. And the current is so strong in there. And if you're not anchored to the right things, you can just easily be swept away and fall in love with this present world and forget all about this other world, this future world, the ways of Jesus that we've aligned ourselves with. A few years ago, I, uh, I had a student in my ministry and I loved this dude, man. I, I put in some hours into this guy. He, he was um, 
I don't know. He was one of those guys, if you understand what I mean. <laughs> like, like I loved him, but he was a little bit hard. You know what I mean? And uh, there was this one time we, we were meeting at Starbucks, and he was telling me about this, this uh, I don't know, this new friend he had that was a girl, but not his girlfriend. I don't know if you've ever been there. Certainly not this group. We're going to date, but not call it dating. We're not going to give it a title because we don't believe in titles. <laughs> okay, bro. And so he, he was telling me about this, this girl in his life. And I was like, oh, cool, man. Yeah, I saw you guys uh, hanging out. Like, we had a dance. I saw you guys at the dance. Oh, cool. Yeah, oh, I remember meeting her. She seemed real nice. I was like, so, so, like, how's that going? He's like, I mean, yeah, man, it's going fine. We're just friends. I'm like, oh, cool. I've got friends, too. So tell me about it. Like, you guys hang out? He's like, I mean, yeah, we, like, hang out from time to time. I was like, <laughs> cool. Like, why are you being vague, homie? Like, tell me about it, man. He's like, yeah, we hang out from time to time. I'm like, okay. Uh, well, since you're not giving me much, let me just, zzz, like, keep fishing here. When you guys hang out, you guys hang out like, uh, you go to, like, Frankie's Fun Park hang out, or she, like, comes over to your house hang out? And he's like, well, she comes over. I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So when she comes over and she hangs out, what are you guys like in the living room playing board games with the family, like Scrabble, <laughs> triple word score with your parents or like you guys somewhere else in the house alone? He's like, I mean, yeah, we're like, we're, we're down in the basement. I'm like, sweet. <laughs> like, dude, you being sketch, homie. I'm like, okay, so when you're hanging out with your friend in the basement with no adults around, <laughs> Because all friends do that. Uh, what are you guys doing? Just like watching Netflix? He's like, yeah. I'm like, all right. Netflix and chill was not a term back then. Uh, it's been originated since this conversation. But I was like, okay, uh, so you guys like, you're a friend um, that you're not dating uh, and you guys hang out alone in the basement, uh, watch Netflix. You guys like sit on different seats, like you're on a recliner, she's like across the room. Or are you guys like on the same couch? He's like, no, we're on the same couch. I'm like, okay. What do you guys like sit, you know, close to each other, next to each other? You guys cuddle? I mean, I said it, man. I was like, so you guys like cuddle up? He's like, I, <laughs> I love it when students don't think you'll ask them direct questions. I love it. He's like, I mean, yeah, man. Like sometimes we'll sit there and like, you know, we'll hold hands or I'll put my arm around her. Like, you know, we'll like lay down. I'm like, okay, cool. So the girl who's, just your friend, who you hang out with alone, and you also like cuddle a lot with. Sounds like friends with benefits to me. But let's just, we'll, we'll keep going down this road. So you like, <clears throat> you, you, let me just ask you this, man. You like, you ever kiss her? And he goes, I, I mean, like, homie, <laughs> like dog. You're like, yeah, like, like yeah, uh, like it's whatever. Uh. I'm like, Okay, uh, so let me get this straight, man. <laughs> Let's just call it what it is. When you guys are alone, you guys are, I, I asked him a few more questions, but I won't go down that road. I said, all right, when you guys are alone, you guys are very physical together. He said, yes. I was like, okay, <laughs> thank you for being honest with me. Uh, but you're not dating. No, okay, but you guys hang out and fool around all the time. I mean, yeah, man. I was like, all right, dude, like, you need to be fair to her. Like, we, we, we need to talk about some stuff here, right? And so he got super mad at me with this conversation. Like, he just blew off. I, I've been investing in this dude for a couple of years. He, he was, like, so furious that I would even ask these questions, like, oh, I'm sorry, dude. I care about your soul. <laughs> like, my bad. And, um, and he just blew me off for, like, six months. And then six months later, he reaches out to me out of the blue. 
long text. You ever get a novel text? Like a multi-thumb scroll text, you know what I mean? Like, oh gosh, I need my reading glasses. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, and it was basically like, dude, you were so right. I was, I was being such an idiot. I was fooling around with that girl. In my mind, I'm like, really? <laughs> like, I, I was not treating her right. I was not being fair to her. I was not clear with my intentions. I, I didn't handle her well. Like, I, dude, I, I was being an idiot. I'm sorry. You were right. Would you forgive me? I was like, dude, of course, man. And so we started to rebuild that relationship. And he started to, like, um, just get very passionate about his faith in Jesus for about a year. And then all of a sudden, he started to trickle off. And, th- like, this was the nature of, of this relationship together. When he was a senior... Like the last week of his, his uh, time in our ministry, he came up to me one night. And it was like a farewell night. He's like, dude, man, thank you so much for everything you've done. Hey, I just want to let you know I finally figured it out. And I'm like, figured what out? He goes, oh, dude, I figured, I figured out like how I can have the best of both worlds. I'm like, what, like, what are you talking about? He goes, dude, I, hear me. Like I'm going to maintain my faith in Jesus like when I go off to college, I, like I'm still gonna go to church, I'm gonna be a part of a church, and I'm, I'm gonna find community and all that, like I'm, I'm gonna get plugged in and be a part of that. However, on the weekends, I'm still gonna go to all the parties. Like I'm gonna go to the frat houses and the parties and things like that, like I figured it out, bro. I, like, I was like, dude, this is not a new idea. I don't know if you think you've discovered like the double life thing, but people do this. He's like, no, I figured it, I figured out how I can, you know, like have fun and drink and party and do all those things I love doing, and then also, how I can also like walk with Jesus. And I'm like, man, like in that moment, my heart just shattered for him. Because for one, I put years into this dude, but two, he's living in this delusion of like, I can somehow have the best of both worlds without any consequences of being conflicted in my value system. The idea that the scriptures depict is there is a way of Jesus and a way of the world. And some things do overlap. Like you can't just retreat from the world and be just weird and like a hermit that lives in a cave somewhere. But you also can't dive into the deep end and still claim like, oh, I'm still aligning with Jesus. Like it just doesn't work. And in his mind, he had cracked the code. I figured it out. Like, dude, you have, you're, you're, <laughs> you're so confused, man. You're so conflicted. And so what do you do with this whole idea of like the cultural current in the river? Because the reality is it's appealing in some ways. Like there are things that the culture offers that's fun. Like I love having fun. But the question is not like how deep do we go in? The question is how do we remain anchored to Jesus? Like that's the guiding question. So I want to look at a story. This is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible of a young teenage guy probably 15, 16 years old, so you guys should be able to relate. His name's Daniel, and he's found in the Old Testament. In fact, he's got a whole book. So let's go to the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. Daniel is this teenage dude, uh, teenage boy. A few facts about Daniel. He is kind of like a royal bloodline in Israel. He, he's, he's like elite society. He's got a great education. He would have been trained from a young age in the law of God, in the word of God. He's got deep convictions about God. 15 years old, 16 years old. And all of a sudden, this nation called Babylon decides to wage war against Israel. And Israel loses. And Daniel, this teenage boy, and a few of his friends are marched 800 miles 
east back to Babylon where they become refugees in Babylon. And the king of Babylon at the time, his name is Nebuchadnezzar, he has a plan of how to not just conquer Israel, the nation, but how to actually erase Israel from history. And his plan is very, very simple. I'm going to go into the land of Israel, I'm gonna conquer the land, and then I'm gonna round up the teenagers, and I'm gonna march them back east into Babylon. And we're going to offer them a life that is so appealing, they're going to think I'm giving them a gift. We're actually going to deculture them away from their heritage, away from their faith, away from their belief system, and we're going to introduce a whole new belief system to them, and it's going to be fun and good and appealing. And I have to imagine some of the military advisors in this group were like, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, man, like, do you think that maybe instead of going through all this trouble, like marching them all back east 800 miles and all the work that that's gonna take, and then actually once they get here, educating them and feeding them and taking care of it, like don't you think we just like kill them? Like wouldn't that be easier? And in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, he didn't just wanna conquer Israel, he wanted to erase Israel. Erase their past and control their future. And in order to do this, he believed, I can't just kill them, I have to bring them over to our side. In fact, this imagery became so dominant throughout the scriptures that um, the, the later authors of the Bible started to talk about Babylon as this figurative idea of any system that's so opposed to the ways of God that will lure people towards it. And it all started with Daniel and this foreign nation of Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel chapter one, verse one, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in, into the treasury of his God. So Nebuchadnezzar went to Jerusalem, conquered the people, conquered the temple, took the artifacts of God, these holy items, and brought them back to his land, into his places of worship. And then the king commanded Ashpenaz. I love Old Testament names, man. Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So the king is conquering the land, and literally, I mean, his plan is grab the teenagers. They're the future. They're the impressionable ones. They're the ones who are the hope of tomorrow. If we can convert them into our ways of living, into our value system, then we're gonna totally conquer Israel. Not just in land, but in culture. Like he wants to eradicate the faith that these young men had, the ways of living that these young men had, their convictions, their belief in God. Instead of just killing them, he wanted to bring them back to his kingdom and lure them in with a good life. Such an interesting strategy. Verse five, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. 
They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them new names. He renamed them. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. You may recognize those three names from the furnace of fire. So this is, this is the king's strategy. Conquer the land, but I also want to conquer the people and their culture. So how do I do it? I'm going to grab the teenagers. I'm going to bring them back over 800 miles east into my kingdom. And I'm going to put them through a three-year training program. And during those three years, I'm going to educate them with our education. They're going to go to the top schools, the Ivy League schools. They're going to learn so much about our culture and our people and our ways. They're gonna dress how we dress. Man, I'm gonna give them the new drip. They're gonna be in the off-white. They're gonna be in the supreme and they are gonna look like some good Babylonians. I'm gonna give them the language. They're gonna learn to talk like us, walk like us, carry themselves like us. We're gonna give them the culture. We're gonna teach them all about what we know, the study of the stars, the study of the arts, mysticism and things like that. In fact, we're gonna give them new names. We don't want those Jewish names coming in our kingdom. We're gonna give them new names. And how about this for salt in the wound? We're gonna name them after Babylonian gods. So they're given new names. You do a little more study into how they did this and, and most of these young men more than likely were castrated in the process because the king is again trying to control their future. I don't want them recreating. I don't want them reproducing. So we're gonna control that. That was the painful part of the process. But everything else sounds pretty nice, right? Like, hey, we're gonna conquer you, but guys, 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 we're not gonna kill you. We're gonna give you a good life. We're gonna bring you back to our home. We're gonna give you fresh clothes. We're gonna give you new education. You're gonna learn the language. You have the best instructors and the best tutors that money can offer. We're gonna give you the new iPhone 12s or whatever just hit the market. We're gonna set you up in some nice apartments. We're gonna bankroll you. You're gonna have an allowance. You're gonna have a budget. You're just gonna live in our kingdom. You're gonna become one of us. We don't wanna kill you. We just wanna convert you. You're gonna become one of us. You're gonna eat like a king. You're gonna have the exact same diet that the king has. You're never gonna want for nothing. Like how good does that sound? Sounds amazing. To have top shelf food, top shelf clothes, top shelf education, top shelf culture delivered to you and all you have to do is embrace it. That's all you have to do. This magnetism, this draw to these young men of like, we're gonna offer you something better. I know you're scared that we're gonna kill you. We're not. We're actually gonna give you something better. Do away with your God, do away with your faith, do away with your religion, do away with anything you learned growing up. We, you don't need that here. This is better. It's the current. Just get swept away by it. Just step into our ways, step into our culture, and just allow yourself to get taken. So what's amazing is the story of Daniel. Verse eight. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. 
And he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Now, this is really interesting. Of, of all the things going on in, in this deconversion process, like we're going to remove you out of Israel. We're going to take you away from your culture. Stop believing in your God. Stop believing in your heritage. You don't need that, man. This is better. They were renamed. They were given a new language, new education, new placement, all of the above. Daniel stands up and he says, hey, 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 hey. We're not going to eat the king's food. Like of all the things to take a stand on, the food? It's like, yo, homie, we're not eating Chick-fil-A. We don't eat Chick-fil-A over in Israel. We're not doing that. Like why would Daniel take a stand on the food? Of all the things, he's like, nope, we ain't doing that. Well, I think it has something to do with verse 5. Verse five says, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And so verse five reveals to us, the king had this very sinister plan. I'm going to allow them to eat like kings, but I'm only going to give them a daily portion of that food. In other words, I'm not gonna give them a week's worth. I'm not gonna give them a month's worth. There's no grocery stores that they can go to. I will bring them their food or I'll have it delivered and it will only be enough for what they need for one day. And so what that king is trying to do is create an utter dependence upon him. They will need the food that I have today so that they can live tomorrow. And tomorrow, they're gonna need the food that I have that day so that they can think about the next day. And over time, this is so brilliant, over time, guys, they're gonna learn to rely on me for their nourishment and sustenance. They won't be able to survive without daily acknowledging that I'm the one giving them what they need. Like, how brilliant is that strategy? He's creating this utter dependency upon himself in this deculturalization process. Daniel stood up and said, nope, not that, we're not doing that. Because I think, I think Daniel being educated in the word of God, being rooted in the word of God realized two things. One is, this is against what God has instructed us in his Bible. We're actually not allowed to eat this kind of food, Nebuchadnezzar. I can't eat this stuff because God has asked us not to. The other stuff, wearing your clothes, learning your language, you giving me a new name, like, okay, those are some gray areas. I don't prefer it, but they're gray areas. But this directly goes against God's word, and I can't do that. And the second thing is, if I begin to rely on you for my daily nourishment, I think I'll forget that it's God who actually provides for me. You're trying to replace God as my provider, and I can't do that. It's God's spirit, it's God's presence that gives me what I need on a daily basis. Isn't this how Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. This idea that we are postured before God to receive daily what we need, this idea that he is our provider, he will take care of us this day, the next day, tomorrow. And King, you are not gonna replace God. David was anchored in three things. And if you're sitting here and you're wondering, all right, dude, like, how, okay, how can I maintain my faith in Jesus and yet transition into my next chapters of life? Because the reality is your next chapters have a lot of temptation coming your way. And there are things that are gonna look really, really good. And you're gonna be like, ooh, I'm drawn to them. Let me just dip my toes in the water, see if I can handle it. Ooh, I can, now let me get waist deep. 
you will be drawn to certain things, a cultural gravity. You'll just be like drawn to it. How can you maintain your faith in Jesus and be a part of this world in the next chapters of your life without just being swept away? David was anchored in three things as he resisted the deculturalization process of Babylon. Number one, David was anchored in the word of God. In the word of God. David was anchored in the word of God. He knew that by eating this food and that by trusting the king for his daily provisions, he was actually going against God's word. God's word in the first five books of the Bible, the, uh, the Torah, David would, would have, uh, Daniel would have been very steeped in this and, and known these things and knew that God has instructed us not to eat these kind of foods that the king wants us to eat. I cannot go against the word of God. King Nebuchadnezzar wants to replace God. He wants to become my provider. I cannot allow that because God has said he will be my provider. To be anchored in God's word. So many times I'll have former students who are like in college or out of college or whatever and they are wrestling with their faith and I'll ask them a few, a few questions. One of those questions will just be like, hey man, tell me about your faith. Like, where, where are you at in your faith right now? How's it going with Jesus? And, and they'll walk me around that. I'm like, all right, man, just tell me this. How often are you still in God's word? Like, how often are you still opening his word, the only book he's ever promised to inspire, and allowing it to enter into your spirit and your soul and feed that? And more often than not, those students who are genuinely like being swept away by cultural current will say, yeah, I haven't read my Bible in like months or years, dude. Like, bro, like this, this is how we maintain like our convictions and our understanding, understanding God's word, not just considering it, but submitting to it, not being mastered, uh, not being the master of this book, but being mastered by this book, like this word brings conviction, brings understanding, brings life. This is how God speaks to us. And when we stop engaging in this, we start to forget a lot of the things that God has for us. Daniel was anchored in God's word. Next, Daniel was anchored in God's presence. King Nebuchadnezzar had a plan. I wanna replace your God. I wanna become your God, I wanna provide for you. I wanna be the one who gives you what you need on a daily basis. You don't need your God. I'll provide a better life for you, better than you ever had over in Israel or whatever it's called. Just trust in me on a daily basis. That's all I'm asking. Trust me as your provider. Daniel's like, no, can't do that because I'm anchored in God's presence. It is God's presence that provides for me. It is God's presence that convicts me. It is God's presence that nourishes my soul. It is God's presence that brings me life. I will never view you in that way, O king. And if I have to lose my life because I won't eat your food, then so be it. And in fact, eventually Daniel and his friends were thrown into a furnace and Daniel was later thrown into a lion's pit. I mean, you guys, probably know these stories like he just had these convictions that he would not budge on because he would not allow God's presence to re be replaced with the presence of someone else and so what this would look like for us on a practical basis just ask yourself this question am I allowing someone or something to replace the presence of God in my life in terms of time 
terms of focus, in terms of energy, in terms of passion? Am I allowing someone or something to replace the presence of God in my life? Daniel was not, allow, uh, not going to allow God's presence to be replaced. Third, Daniel was anchored in God's people. Daniel chapter one is all about not just Daniel, but he and his friends. He and his friends. They were renamed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these, these Babylonian names. But the four of them, Chapter one is all about Daniel and his friends, Daniel and his friends, Daniel and his friends. He remained anchored to God's people. Right now, it is so popular and hot and cool to have a deconversion story. I just can't tell you, like that is like the trend right now in Christianity. Yeah, I grew up a Christian, I grew up a believer. But as I got older, I began to realize like, I don't believe any of this stuff anymore. I've deconverted from Christianity. I've found true freedom and true enlightenment now. And most of the people with this same kind of story, like if you poke and prod it, they at some point in their life stopped engaging with God's people. In fact, a lot of them are like, I've I've walked away from Jesus because of God's people, which, hey man, I, I get that. Like, I get that. Because there are some very hurtful people in the family of God, unfortunately. But what I'm talking about here is community. This idea that, man, I need help in this life. I am drawn to the current of culture. It is appealing to me. The gravity, the pull of it is just luring me in and I need other people in my life to help me, support me, ask me the hard questions, poke and prod, get into the layers and be honest with me about stuff. Just like I was with my friend. And he got mad at me about it, but I loved him enough to ask him the hard questions. Daniel was anchored in God's people. It's it's Daniel and his friends. When we start being dishonest with our friends and we start hiding our stuff from our friends and we stop being honest about what's going on in our life and we come to the conclusion, yeah, I'm actually done with God's people. I don't need them. We actually start to drift away from God because we are created to be in community. God's people and the presence of God are kind of aligned in this package Can you experience God's presence alone? Yeah, you can, of course you can. But surrounded by God's people, it's like magnified, it's intensified because you have perspective, you have wisdom, you have counsel, you have advice, you have accountability all coming into you from outsiders. To be anchored in God's people. One of my dear, dear friends, she used to be a student of mine years ago. And she was like, like dream student, man. There every week, super passionate about Jesus, in love with Jesus, growing in her faith, going on the mission trips, the service trips, overseas, things like that, student leadership teams, involved in like the deep stuff, consistent all the time, just like, I love Jesus, like I just love Jesus. She went off to college and she called me a few months in and was just having this like crisis of faith like i i don't know what i what to do i wasn't expecting this it's like it's okay it's okay you're asking some questions that's okay let's talk about them let's navigate them so we did we had a long conversation and we had a a lot of conversations that freshman year of college and she just kept coming to the conclusion that she's just not sure and that's an okay place to be like those doubts, again, are not wrong or sinful, but let's navigate them. And so I I kept trying to like be involved in her life and others kept trying to be 
present and just love her through it and make sure she knew we were with her and praying for her and available to her. And, and eventually she just began to kind of put up these walls and like start to block people out and like, hey, I, like, I'm not going to call you because I know you'll ask me the hard questions. I'm actually not going to tell you when I pass through town because I don't want to see you because I know you're going to dig in deep. Like when you, when you start to intentionally avoid people because you know they're going to put a finger on things that you know are wrong, something's, that should tell you something, like something's going on in your heart there. So she's now in her senior year and she's kind of at this place that's like, I still believe in Jesus kind of, but I don't go to church anymore. I don't really read my Bible anymore. In fact, I kind of worship God in my own way and it's like very free flowing and fluid, whatever that means. And she's like cherry picked a few things like from other belief structures or systems and kind of put it all in this blender and like, like hit on and has created this own spirituality thing. And she reached out to me recently she, she sent me a text and she said, hey, I've got to talk to you. I don't feel like anyone in my life actually knows where I'm really at and actually knows the real me. Can I talk to you? I text her, I'm like, yes, obviously, absolutely, I would love to. And, and she's, she's at this place that's like in her mind, she's created this total freedom and like, oh, I've combined all these things and it's beautiful and it's spiritual and it's whatever. But deep down, she's more conflicted than she's ever been. She's more confused than she's ever been. She feels like just wandering in this fog of like, I just don't know anymore. Nobody knows me anymore. I don't know them anymore. Like, I just feel alone. She's abandoned the word of God. She's abandoned the presence of God and she's abandoned the people of God. And somehow at some point she was at a turning point and she decided, yep, the ways of the world are definitely gonna be better than this. I will find more freedom and more life in those by being swept down the river of culture than I would be anchored to Jesus. And now four years later, she's like, dude, what has happened? Nobody knows me, I don't know me. I've lost my identity, I've lost myself. I'm so confused. I feel so misunderstood. I'm alone, I'm hurting, I'm broken. Can we talk? Yes, we can talk. This is how you step into some of the current without being swept away. You stay anchored to God's word. You stay anchored to God's presence. You stay anchored to God's people. You have to have those three.